0: Anybody connecting with us online, we're so glad that you have connected with us online today. We are uh, excited about all that God is doing and our efforts to reboot, uh, uh, be able to move forward even in the middle of the pandemic that we're dealing with. And this series called Rebuilding is a part of that plan that we've got as we try to to deal with all that the world has thrown at us in 2020, but still be able to move forward, uh, bounce not back, but forward. As it said in that commercial, we're trying to bounce forward uh, even better than we were before. So that's what this series is all about. We want you to know that, uh, we want you to stay connected, whether you're able to be with us, face to face. So many people are beginning to come back uh, on campus and we're so thankful for that. But those of you that are still connecting online, we want you to stay connected, so please. Uh, Know that we want you to to message us if you have prayer requests or or things that you're dealing with that we need to know about. We want to stay in touch with you and have you stay in touch with us. We still have our life group meeting, and if you're wanting to connect with a life group, we can help you with that uh, anytime. Just contact us and let us know that. 2020's been crazy, hasn't it? I mean, let's be honest. It's been totally different than anybody expected. January? man, everybody was feeling great, New Year, let's get going. We had all these plans about what we were going to do in 2020. My calendar, I keep a calendar and my wife keeps a calendar where we put everything on there that we already know is a date or an appointment or an activity that's coming up and we put that on the calendar and we set reminders because we forget and and so we set these alerts and these reminders and then February everything was still clicking right along we're doing good and then March boom tornadoes hit right tornadoes hit the area here in the Nashville area March 2nd and 3rd over that time period storms hit in different locations and just just did a lot of devastation There was injury, there were some deaths, not many, thankfully, we're so thankful for that, But, but a lot of destruction that happened with that. And immediately, our church sprung into action, we started sending out volunteer teams to help with the rebuilding process, right? And then, boom, the pandemic hit can't go out and do that anymore we actually were helping out at a school over in Mount Juliet and had to stop immediately we were in the middle of helping them start cleaning up and rebuilding from the storms and had to stop couldn't go back couldn't be there in person anymore changed everything and we forget sometimes we get so isolated in our thoughts that we forget this is not just affecting us personally This pandemic, I mean, the storms were this area, you know, but it hit in other areas, too, along the way. So other people were dealing with the storms besides just us. But the pandemic, the pandemic wasn't just Nashville, right? It wasn't just Tennessee. It wasn't just the United States. This is a worldwide pandemic. People all over the world. I've got pastor friends in other countries that I've been communicating with, and they're dealing with the same stuff we're dealing with, with their churches, with this pandemic trying to figure out how to navigate through this. I want us to take a moment and thank our elder team and our staff team who have been doing such an amazing job navigating through all this with us. And our volunteers, such an amazing job navigating and leading through all of this. It's been a challenge like we've never seen before. When you looked at our church calendar, January in February, we plan way out in advance a lot of the stuff we're going to be doing. And on my personal calendar and on that church calendar, we had to start Xing off. Xing off everything. Can't do that now. Can't do that now. We've got to shift. There's a new word that's become the key word, the trendy word in our culture today pivot. Have you heard that? We all had to pivot. Pivot means to stop where you are, turn around, and go a different direction, right? You've got to pivot. We've all had to pivot. In 2020 and do things we never thought we'd have to do I mean how many of us ever thought we would be required to go into a bank with a mask on right it's totally different isn't it I mean never would we have thought that would be a good thing for us to do right so everyone has had to pivot I just finished a series called Stronger Together. If you missed it, you can go back and catch it on our website or our YouTube channel. If you haven't subscribed there, I encourage you to do that. We're in this together. We really are. Now, not everybody, I I heard this, and I want to repeat it again. We're not all in the same boat. We're in different boats, but we're all in the same storm, right? Everybody's got some individual situations that are different, but all of us are dealing with the storms. And then you add to that... uh, the, the social unrest, and then you add to that uh, a political election in the middle of all this, right? So you got all these things working at the same time, and we've all had to pivot and deal with it as best we could. Well, I was planning. I, I did a pivot. I didn't plan this series. I had planned series out on end to 2020, further into the year, and I, I pivoted and shifted and, and came back to this series and decided to do rebuilding five key lessons from Nehemiah because what I have found is true for me personally it's true for our church family it's true for our country it's true for the world we are now shifting and pivoting to rebuilding mode because this has set us all back in some ways it has caused some some uh, loss along the way And some of it's physical loss where people have gotten sick and died, and we want to pray for those that are dealing with the virus, like our president and first lady, we should be praying for them, but not just them, all all the people that are dealing with this health crisis that we're facing, this is a time for prayer for sure. But it's also a time to refocus where we're going, what we're going to be doing, what our plans are going to be. And what I believe, I've heard, and I, I mentor several other pastors, and what I began to hear was all the woe is me stories on how bad this is. And I was praying and praying about this, saying, Lord, I don't understand, you know, all of this, why this is happening, but, Lord, I know you, and here's what I know about what's happening. This is one of the greatest opportunities the church has ever faced to impact our world. We have an opportunity to rebuild church, how we do church, who we are as a church. And one thing the pandemic did that I thought was amazingly powerful, it caused us as a church and as church leaders and hopefully as church members to rethink and pivot our idea of what church is. Instead of thinking of church as a building that we go to. Right? Because we couldn't go to the building for a while. We were only online for months. And it was for everybody's protection. It was for everybody's safety. It was a needed thing, and we did the right thing by doing that. But here's the thing. Were we still the church without the building? Yes. And could we still function as a church without the building? absolutely could we do it without assembling in a building and assembling online and and in life groups smaller groups could we do it that way absolutely now that doesn't mean we don't need a building it's a good tool we can use it but this is not the church the campus building in Smyrna that's not the church we are the church and as we think about rebuilding we've got an amazing opportunity to rebuild the church to be better than it's ever been before and rebuild the impact and influence of the church better than it's ever been before you see god can use remember remember that passage he works all things together for the what good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose that's what the scripture says do you believe that about god i do And as your pastor, I want you to know that the pandemic, we're not saying that's a good thing. We're not saying that the tornadoes were a good thing. We're not saying that social unrest is a good thing necessarily. Some of the negative things that come from some of that. What we're saying is, is God can use all things and work them all together for the good of those who love him. Now, who would that be? It would be the church. He works all things together for the good of his people. His people are the church. And if we didn't have this building, we would still be just as much the church as we are with the building. And so we've got to pivot as a church because the American church especially, it was in other countries too, but the American church for years had made church about one day a week, we go to this building that we call the church and we meet together for an hour or two. If the preacher's long-winded, it may be, you know, longer than that, but however long it is. And, and that's what we do. That's church. We're doing church when we go there on Sunday. And that's never been what the scripture teaches about the church. So I'm, in some ways, thankful for the pandemic. Thankful for the challenges that we faced because it has rocked us out of our comfort zone like we needed to be rocked out of our comfort zones just going through the motions and the routines of showing up on sunday and leaving and saying we've now attended church you can't attend church because you are the church let's stop talking about attending something that we're supposed to be all the time as if we go there and leave there the church doesn't function that way in the new testament the church was the church on monday just like it was on sunday And on Tuesday and Wednesday and every day of the week, they were still the church. And they were still out there on the job site and in the marketplace representing Jesus Christ as his church. And so we've got to pivot as a church, and we've got a great opportunity to do it right now. And so this series is all about bouncing forward that's what that commercial said from Comcast instead of bouncing back they're trying to say with the help of Comcast we can bounce forward as a business right With their business plan that they have for Comcast we have Comcast business here at Lakeshore and I can tell you we're not depending on that for us to bounce forward okay If you're here and you work for Comcast, God bless you. We love you, and we're thankful that we even have Comcast, but we still have problems with Comcast, right? We're not depending on that for us to be able to bounce forward, but we are depending on God and God's leading and God's wisdom and God's power to be able to bounce forward. So we want to do this better with this opportunity that God has given us. And Nehemiah is a great, great book for us to go to to look at how do you bounce forward from setbacks? Because God's people, at the, in, the, in the book of Nehemiah, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, if you can't find Nehemiah, if you can find Psalms, it's kind of right in the middle, and go back three books, okay, and you'll be in Nehemiah. So go to Psalms and turn left for just a couple of books there, and you get to the book of Nehemiah. Now, some of you have a, a you know, a little uh, thing at the front that tells you what page that's on, so you can use that if you need to, uh, and it's okay if you didn't know where Nehemiah was. If you've been at Lakeshore a long time, though, I have preached through Nehemiah on two occasions before this. And I'm not going to do the whole series like I did before, but I'm going to focus on five key lessons that we learn from Nehemiah. You can pull it up on your smartphone or tablet if you've got that. I want to give you some background on why this is such a good, good uh, book, uh, good lessons for us for this bouncing forward, for this rebuilding that we're trying to do. The reason we're need, needing to rebuild as a church, has a lot. there's a lot of things, factors involved, but basically it comes down to this. During the pandemic, one-third of the people who were actively involved in church in some way have dropped out completely, all right? They've gotten totally disconnected from church. They're not watching online. They're not connecting with life groups. They're not doing anything. Now, their weekends, they've planned other things. They're taking trips, they're playing ball games, they're doing all the other stuff, but they're not making church a priority, a part of their lives anymore. You take any organization and eliminate one third of those that were part of it, then there needs to be a rebuilding process, doesn't there? There needs to be a way to build back the organization. And so, the church in America and many of them around the world are in this rebuilding mode, trying to build back the church, but we want to do it better than it was before Nehemiah takes place in, in the face of some setbacks that God's people had suffered uh, I'll give you some of the brief history back in 587 BC the Babylonians led by Nebuchadnezzar had conquered the Assyrians and they invaded the southern kingdom and took them captive now God's people had separated into two kingdoms a northern kingdom Uh, of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The southern kingdom was centered around Jerusalem, okay? So they had gone into the southern kingdom and taken them captive to Babylon. And here's how they did it. It was cruel. They went in and destroyed the place, and they took the people captive. They chained them together. They were forced to walk, chained together 800 miles into slavery in Babylon. A little bit of a setback, right? Pandemic's bad, but not as bad as this, okay? Okay? They have to leave their homes. Their homes are destroyed by the enemy. The temple's destroyed. Everything's destroyed. And they are marching as slaves chained together into a foreign country to be ruled by them, to work for them. So they burned Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. They tore down the walls of the city and burned the gates with fire. It says in Scripture, Then the Babylonians were defeated in 539 B.C. by the Persians. And a Persian leader named Cyrus began to have some compassion toward the people of God. And he allowed some of them, if they wanted to, to start going back to the southern kingdom, to where they used to live, their families used to live, and try to start the rebuilding process. Okay, so that's led into now the beginning of the rebuilding process of the southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem. In 538 B.C., the first group turned, led by Zerubbabel, and then the second group, led by Ezra, who was a priest, returned in 458 B.C. Ezra the priest led them especially in focusing on rebuilding the temple. He felt like if they could restore the spiritual life, the spiritual hub, the spiritual center of their lives, that that could help them rebuild better. All right, that's a clue. That's a hint for us, right? If you're going to rebuild, where do you need to start? With what? The spiritual stuff. That's the most important rebuilding we could do is in the spiritual area. Now, Ezra was only slightly successful in this. The people really, the, the people that went back, they had not been raised with this now. They, they've been now for a long time in a foreign country without a spiritual center to their lives. They haven't had the teaching. They haven't had the instruction. So even though they're building the temple physically, their spiritual lives weren't being rebuilt very well. You see why the building is not the key? The building is not the key. It's the spiritual life. It's the inner life that's the key to really rebuilding your life. You want to rebuild your marriage, friendships, careers? Where do you need to start? In here. Not the outward physical stuff. That's not the most important stuff. It's in here. The spiritual life is the most important part. Ezra understood this, but the people didn't grasp it very well, so they still weren't getting back on track with God the way they needed to. And now we pick up here in 444 B.C. where Nehemiah gets this report about Jerusalem from his brother Hanani who had gone there. Nehemiah, he tells us, is in the citadel of Susa. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But I want to look at four things uh, about Nehemiah's response to the rebuilding he decides to be part of to let God use him for. The first thing is I want us to see his motive for what he's going to do, his motive, because we, we need to start with the right motive if we're going to rebuild better than it was before. Listen to verse, chapter 1, verse 1 and following. This is where, uh, where Nehemiah gets this news, and I want us to see the motive for his response to it. Beginning in verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, the month of Kislev, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So I want to stop there for just a moment. He, he's in the citadel of Susa. Now that, you know, we could read that and think, okay, that's a location. Yeah, it was not just a location. This was a plush, lavish resort that the kings had built before him. And now the king he's serving with, Artaxerxes, is using this as his lush retreat that he went to get away from everything. It would have the best of the best of everything, food, accommodations, you know, luxury. It was the lap of luxury. So Nehemiah is living in the lap of luxury when he gets this report from his brothers who had just been to Jerusalem and they've now come back and one of his brothers gives him he asks about it and he gives them this report about there. here verse three they said to me those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire in verse four it says when I heard these things I sat down and wept for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven you're thinking, okay, they, they, he got this news, and now he knows, oh, no, the wall in Jerusalem is broken down, and it's terrible. Now, you have to understand, in that time period, the wall around a city was one of the most important features of any city to survive in that day and time. It was for protection. It was for strength. It was for control of enemies not coming in and destroying them. It was important to have the wall around the city. And Jerusalem was the city of God, remember? It was supposed to represent God to the world. It was supposed to be the emblem of of the glory of God. And here, the wall around the city was completely still in rubble. And and the gates uh, that are made with wood, the wall was made with stone. But the, the gates would be made out of wood. The gates had been burned up with fire. And so there was no protection for the city at all against any enemies that might come. And it was a disgrace, he said. For the people of God. And when you read this. The thought might be. Well this is the first Nehemiah's heard about this. Right? But what we have to look at is actual history. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down for 141 years. This is not brand new news. That's coming out of Jerusalem. Oh no the walls torn down. You know what that means? It means the first guys that went back and women that went back, they've been walking all around the rubble the whole time for 140 years now, any of the remnant that was there. And nobody had done anything about it. What they had done, we have some records of, is complain about how bad things were. Doesn't sound like the church, does it? Complain about how bad things are. This pandemic we're having to meet online, and we're having to social distance, and we gotta wear masks, and all this awful stuff we're having to do, right? We 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 act like a bunch of babies sometimes. This is nothing compared to what God's people have been through over the years. Let's stop acting like this is the end of the world. Because we're having to do some of these things. We've got a great opportunity here. For 141 years, they had a great opportunity to restore the glory of God, and nobody had done anything about it until Nehemiah came along. Now, I think a lot of reasons Nehemiah reacted differently this time. One is he's now in a position that he's been in for a while. He later on tells us he's cupbearer to the king. And that doesn't sound too impressive until you understand the cupbearer was The king's right-hand man, okay? It started out with the role of tasting his food and his wine before the king ate it, right? That's how cupbearer came in as the name because enemies of the king would try to do what? Poison his wine or his food, right? So they had somebody else they could trust, taste it. Now, understand this. If he's the guy you're depending on to protect your life, do you think you have to trust that guy? Absolutely. Totally trust him. So Nehemiah is in the position of the most trusted position for the king of this foreign country that he's in, Persia, and Artaxerxes is the king that he's serving as cupbearer, and he's the right-hand man to the king, so that means if the king is living in luxury, where's Nehemiah? He's living in luxury, too. But you know what happens to a lot of people when they end up thinking, i got to have this house and this car and these clothes and all the best of the best. After they've had it for a while, you know what begins to happen to them? A lot of them, if you listen to their words, they're still looking for something else. Some greater purpose having all this stuff. I believe Nehemiah is at that point in his life where God knows where he is is right now. God knows that this man is hungry to do something significant for God. He was looking for the opportunity. Why do I believe that? Because of his response to what he heard. Right? His response to what he heard tells me he has been looking for the opportunity to make a real difference. And even though being cupbearer to the king was an important job and it gave him all the luxuries of life, Wanted more than that. He wanted more than that. He wanted more significance than that. So here we find that he has a motive for asking and a motive for how he responds. Look at verse four, look at part of his response. when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. His motive became, whether it had been before or not, at this point in his life he had a new motive. It was concern for others. That became the driving force of his life. Concern for others. You see, in the face of a pandemic, in the face of a tornado, in the face of social injustice, you've got a choice to make. You can turn inward and just say, I've got to just look out for me and mine. Or you could do like Nehemiah. You could see a great opportunity here to let God use you to make a real difference for others. Nehemiah was at this place where he wasn't whining about, oh, that's awful. That's so bad. What are we going to do? Right? Like so many church members during the pandemic. This is awful. Can't believe the government's making us do all this stuff. Right? I've heard it. I've heard it all. I've seen it on social media way too much. All of our complaining, grumbling, when in fact, if our heart was where it needed to be, if our motive was where it needed to be, we would start thinking about art in the middle of this. How can God use us to impact others in a better way, in a more positive way? in a way that changes their course of life for eternity? How can God use us to have a greater purpose than just let's get through the pandemic best we can, right? Poor us. And not everybody's reacted that way. I'm so thankful. So many in the church have not done that, but so many have just made it about them, made it about us, and made it about the government versus the church. That's not what this is about. This is about the church seizing the opportunity, God has placed in our laps to show the world what our God can do, how God loves others and put in us that love for others that we need to have. The motive has to be right. If you're going to rebuild a marriage, you better make sure your motive's right. If you're going to rebuild a friendship, you better be sure your motive is right in doing that. If you're going to rebuild your career, you better get your motive right for doing that or it's not going to go well. And if we're going to rebuild the church, rebuild our country, if you want to put it that way, it's not just about our country, it's a worldwide thing, but if we're going to rebuild, we better do it with the right motive. If God's going to bless it, if God's going to honor it. Instead of just saying, we're going to rebel against the government and do what we want to do, how about let's say, God, how can we work within this and teach even the government how great our God is and how much we love like God loves Couldn't we do that instead? Couldn't we have that impact and influence instead? We've got to get our motives right if we're going to rebuild the way God wants us to rebuild. We've got to make it about not ourselves demanding our rights, but about others. And how God can love others through us. And that's why I'm so thankful for the way so many at Lakeshore have responded with that love. So the motive is the first thing I want you to see from Nehemiah. But the second thing is that motive led him to a specific response. Let's go back to verse 4 and following here, 4 through 11. I heard these things. I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. Then he adds the footnote, I was cupbearer to the king. Look at what he did in response, okay? It's a terrible setback. He heard terrible news. It's a disgrace what's happening. So what's his first response? I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed. How many of us have spent the pandemic doing that? We've mourned the loss of things we like, but how many of us have mourned for how it's affected others? Got a friend that's serving God in Haiti. He's a pastor of a church there. We're just connected online and talking online some. And you think the pandemic's hurt us. Think about a country that's still one of the poorest countries in the world, how the pandemic has affected them and their church members. I mourn for them have you been mourning for others or just concerned about yourself and the inconveniences you're dealing with because of the pandemic you see if we've got the heart of God we're thinking about others above ourselves he says I'm mourned he's not mourning for himself he's mourning for God's people that are under those conditions and the disgrace that it's brought to the people of God and the witness of God he's mourning that he says, and I fasted, and I prayed. Prayer and fasting, oh, if you're grieving over something, the first place to go to with it is, is not to complain on social media. Where are you supposed to go with it? To God. Fasting and prayer, what a great resource God has given us to, to get our hearts right and our minds set where they need to be, but also to connect with him and his power and his wisdom and his guidance through all of this. He mourned and he fasted and prayed because he knew he needed God if he was going to make the right response here. He needed it to be under God's direction and God's leadership and God's power. How many of us before we responded on social media or to other people or to our companies or our businesses or our Our neighbors, how many of us have mourned and fasted and prayed before we responded, the way we responded? It'll change your mindset if you spend some time mourning and fasting and praying. He mourned and fasted and prayed, but then I want you to see part of the prayer that he was praying. Remember verse 5? This prayer begins in verse 5 goes through to about verse 11. You know what this prayer is all about? confession and repentance (laughs) very few christians have spent the pandemic time in confession and repentance what we've prayed is that god would fix this and heal our country heal our land right that's what we've been praying what if god is using this to call us to repentance before he heals the land repentance starts with confession of sin and friends our country our country is promoting sin and sinful lifestyles as if they're great things why would god bless that why would god heal that why would god make everything okay if we're going to keep rebelling against him the way we're rebelling against him. And I'm not just talking about those outside the church, even in the church. I'm not just talking about Lakeshore. I'm talking about the church in America. So many of these denominations and other groups have not stood for the truth of God's word. You think God is pleased with his church? When churches themselves and leaders of those churches are promoting sin as good, evil as good, and calling good evil, why would God heal that and bless that? This is a time of repentance and confession of sin. We need to spend some time doing that individually because we're the church, but also corporately because corporately we're the church. And not just Lake Shore, but Church Capital C, all the churches, we need to have some repentance going on for the church. We've gotten way away from what God intended the church to be. It's partly because we have made the building the church instead of the people, but it's more than that. It's because we've welcomed sin into the church and celebrated it and made it like it's okay. That's part of it. So if we want God to heal our land, then maybe we need to start with confession of sin and repentance from our sins instead of just demanding that he fix this for us even though we go right on sinning. Prayer and repentance is the first place to start in our response. But he didn't stop there, and I'm so thankful. He spent the time mourning and fasting and praying, and he poured himself out in repentance before God. But he was still seeking God's favor, right? He was asking God, "Please let your ear be attentive. Please listen to what I want to do here. What I think uh, is what something you would want me to do, Father. Uh, I, I want you to to give me favor in my prayer here that I'm doing. I no, I need to repent, and I'm doing that. But now, hear me, Father." Because the third thing we see here is the opportunity that he saw, his opportunity in the face of all of these problems. He says, "Grant me present, favor in the presence of this man. This man is King Artaxerxes. King Artaxerxes is the son of King Xerxes, who had been previous to that, who had started was part with the king during part of this time of letting the people start going back and rebuilding." Xerxes was not a believer in the one true God. He was not, he was not uh, an evil man as far as we could tell. He seemed to rule well, but he was not that person who stood up for the God of, of Israel, of the northern or southern kingdom. He's not connected in any way with that except through Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah, here's what we have to know about him. He conducted himself so well in his job as cupbearer that he asked God that the king would show favor to him, right, that he would find favor in in the presence of the king. But if Nehemiah had been a jerk about his God and his religion before this, what do you think Artaxerxes' response would have been to him? I'm not helping you. I'm not going to do anything to help you. You've not shown any great uh, love for your God or love for your people before this. You've not acted well. You've not conducted your life well. Why would I want to honor that and help you with that? See, sometimes we as the church complain about how the world treats the church when, in fact, we have brought a lot of it on ourselves and how we've acted claiming to be the church. They've seen us have terrible attitudes. They've heard us complaining and griping, even about the church. Why would they want to honor your church when you're out there complaining about it? Why would they want to be part of something like that? So we know Nehemiah has done a good job up until now of representing God well. And that's part of the reason Artaxerxes is going to show favor to him when he makes these requests. Because now Nehemiah says in his heart and his mind, with God's help, God, I'm repenting and I want to do something good here to make a difference. I want, to, I want to do the right thing and I'm going to need some help doing that. But there's a great opportunity here. If I can get the help I need, I can do some really good things. And here's what he says in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Part of the job of the cupbearer is to keep the king happy. So you don't go before the king looking all down and complaining and sad because if the king wanted to, he could have your head for that. You're, you're on staff to help him, to encourage him, to build him up. That's what your job is. And so Nehemiah had not been sad in the presence of the king before this. But this day when he took the wine to the king, remember he had to taste it first, make sure it's not poison, and then he took it to the king. And the king had to be able to trust that he had done what he needed to do, but he's, the king noticed how sad he was. So he said, uh, verse 2, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. So it shows the intimacy of their relationship. You know, he's the king's right-hand man, and the king knows him well enough to know there's something wrong. If you've been married a long time, can you usually tell when there's something wrong with your spouse when you walk in the door? Right? You walk into a room, you can almost feel the tension sometimes, right? You know what I'm talking about, husband or the wife. There's just tension there on the surface, and you know it's there, right? Well, they had a close enough relationship that, that the king solved the problem here. There's, there's something going on. Notice the next phrase from Nehemiah, I was very much afraid. Why would he be afraid? Because his job is to keep the king happy, and now he's not doing that well. And he's also about to ask for some big favors from the king, and he's scared about doing that. He says, I'm very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. That's a good start, right? You're about to ask for favors, so how do you start out? Oh, man, you're a great king. I hope you live forever. Hallelujah, right? Uh, get on, a, you know, get, get things turned around quickly. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So he immediately introduces the problem that he's facing. The king said to me, what is it you want? I love that. The king immediately wants to help Nehemiah. And he wants to know, well, what what do you need? What do you want? How can I help you here? Right? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. So he didn't just spew something out. Instead, he prayed that God would give him the right words and the wisdom on what he was going to need He prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors were buried so that I can do what? Rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? When will you get back? In other words, uh, is this going to take up all your sick leave, Nehemiah? Is this going to, you know, all your vacation time? How long are you going to be gone on this, right? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, he didn't stop with permission to go, right? He went on. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me the king granted my request so I went to the governors of trans euphrates and gave them the king's letters the king also sent army officers and cavalry with me did you catch all this the provision that is being made here is amazing and that's the fourth thing on the outline here is the provision God provided he's got this great opportunity and now God is saying okay because you're willing to be obedient, because you're willing to to have a heart for others, a concern for others that you need to have, because you're seeking my guidance and my will in this circumstance, I will provide everything you need to get this job done. Everything you need to get this job done. Man, listen to this. First of all, got permission to go, right? I'll give you the time off to go do this. Now, this was going to inconvenience the king greatly to give his cupbearer the time off. But they had that kind of relationship, and he had that kind of respect for Nehemiah, Nehemiah's religion that he would let him go, even though it's not the king's religion that he followed. And then he said, I also need some letters for safe conduct, it says in the NIV. That means safety traveling through the countries he's got to travel through to get back to Judah. He got kind of to travel through some foreign lands there to get safely back. Now, King Artaxerxes was the most powerful king in the area at that time. So if he had a letter from him saying, you better let this guy go through safely, they didn't want to go against that. And Nehemiah knew that if he had letters from the king, he could get through those areas safely. And so the king gave him the letters, you know, with the king's seal on it and all that to make them official to show these other uh, leaders in those other countries, you better take care of this guy while he comes through. So he gave him letters for safe travel. But not just that, notice that the, at the verse 9 here. The king also sent army officers and cavalry with me. So <laughs> he not only gave Nehemiah time off, he gave him letters for safe travel. He gave him a letter to the keeper of the forest who was going to cut timber for him to take and have shipped over to Judah to be used for the rebuilding time, not only for the, res- his, uh, the wall in the city, but also for his own residence that he's going to build when he gets there. He's providing all the provisions and materials that he needs to get the job started. And he's providing uh, army soldiers and cavalry on horseback to go with him to make sure he gets there safely. You see, when you're... Fasting and praying and repenting and being concerned about others more than yourself and you're trying to make an impact for God, you know what God's response is? He'll use whatever means he needs to use, even people who don't believe in him, to provide what you need to do the job he's called you to do. We're complaining that we can't, got a social distance and wear a mask and so the church can't do its job, give me a break. Our God is much bigger than that. He'll give us everything we need to do what he's called us to do as the church all the time. If we walk in obedience to him and we do it out of concern for others above ourselves. I don't care if you don't believe in the mask. If you wear it out of concern for others, can God use that? Absolutely, God can use that to impact the world in a powerful way. I don't care if you think social distancing is necessary. If we're willing to do that, what does it say to the community? We care about you. We're gonna do what we need to do for you to feel better about this. You don't have to believe in it yourself. You just have to know that God can use it. Xerxes didn't believe in Nehemiah's God, but he gave him all he needed. You know why? Because God can use even a pagan king to provide for his people. Whatever they need to do the right thing. That God is calling them to do. So he got permission to go. And he got letters for safe travel. He got soldiers to help him and protect him. And he was able to go back to Judah. And lead in this rebuilding. So here's what I want to close with today. Listen to me. Stop the complaining. And start looking for the opportunities. God's putting in front of us in the middle of all this. To show our love and care and concern for others. Start impacting the world the way God wants to use us to impact the world. It's the church that he put on the earth to do that. And the church is not the building. It never has been. It's you and it's me. So let's start letting God use us. in that positive way out of concern for others to help point people to our God. And here's what God promises. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will heal their land. You want God to change this? Let's repent and get back on track and let's start rebuilding better than we've ever been before as his people. Here's what he promises in 2nd Chronicles 16 the first part of verse 9 he says this the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him he's looking for men and women whose hearts are fully committed to him so that he can strengthen you provide for you all that you need to do the good work on this earth that he's prepared in advance for you to do even in a pandemic maybe especially in a pandemic let's pray Father, thank you that in your word and in the example of Nehemiah, we see how you, whether you caused this to happen or not or just allowed it to happen, you have a plan and a purpose behind all of it. And you want us, the church, to respond rightly to the opportunity that you've put right in front of us. Help us. Father, we repent of our sin and our selfishness and our griping and our complaining. We ask for grace and forgiveness. We ask that you would show help us to find favor in the eyes of of those that we're trying to reach out to and make a difference with so that we can move forward in calling people to your son, Jesus. Father, we know that you've promised that if we walk in obedience, repenting of our sins, you will forgive and you will provide all that's needed. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.